0: Applied, empirical, normative, on Retrieving the Social Sciences, we bring the best of UMBC's social science community to you. When I was an undergraduate at the University of North Carolina, I remember arriving on campus mostly in search of friends, tips on how to live with a roommate, and of course, free pizza. I had my course schedule ready to go, and I was excited to take my first classes in what would end up being a very long sequence, as it turned out, of political science classes. And what I didn't know at the time was that I would be embarking on a journey that would eventually lead me to this very microphone and to the awesome university that I now call my academic home. My journey did involve quite a bit of travel, but at the end of the day, it was a research journey more than anything. From my first exposure to social science research in that very first semester of college, to the completion of an honors thesis at UNC, to my time in grad school and beyond, I've been motivated by the fascinating world of social science research. And perhaps if you're listening to this episode, you're also on your own research journey. And to that I say, well met, fellow traveler. You know, what I didn't realize when I began this journey was that there are so many possible avenues to traverse, especially as an undergraduate researcher. And I've only more recently come to appreciate that at UMBC, these avenues are practically paved with gold. That is to say, it's a fantastic time to be a student researcher at UMBC, as we'll learn today in my conversations with several guests. One of the most unique and rewarding avenues for student research at UMBC is the UMBC Review, a fully student-led academic journal that publishes peer-reviewed student research. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing you my conversation with two of the editors of the UMBC Review, Claire Volkening and Madeline Pollack. Claire is a senior in the Department of English at UMBC with a focus on communication and technology, while Madeline is in the process of earning a degree at UMBC in history and Judaic studies. But not only that, in today's episode, we also hear from Dr. April Householder, the Director of UMBC Undergraduate Research and Prestigious Scholarships, in her capacity as a supervisor of the UMBC Review. I'm really excited to bring you both of these conversations right now. So today I am delighted to welcome Dr. April Householder to the, the uh, podcast. Thank you again so much for agreeing to be here.
1: Oh, thank you so much. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, so Dr. Householder, in your role as the director of undergraduate research and prestigious scholarships at UMBC, obviously you're working together with the student editors that we're going to hear from in a minute on the production, the publication of the UMBC Review. And I wanted to, you know, ask you a little bit about your perspective as somebody who's sort of been over this um, process a little bit, you know, more than the student editors who have only recently stepped into their roles. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of the history, the trajectory of the review, um, sort of. How did it begin? How did it start? And are are there any new developments that you might be able to tell us about?
1: Yeah. So the review has actually been around for 24 years now. Um, Yeah. It started in 2000 um, when... Dr. Diane Lee, who was the Dean then of UAA, um, was overseeing some new initiatives for undergraduate research. And uh, ERCAT had just got off the ground and the undergraduate research awards were starting to happen. And then there was a discussion about, you know, um, students now can get funded to do research at UMBC through the URA program. They can present their work at ERCAT. How about we give them an opportunity to also publish their work um, in a peer-reviewed journal? And so the idea was, uh, was born to to start the UMBC Review, and um, from the from the start, it was really all about being a student-centered publication, and so um, we have two student editors that completely control the editing process. Every year, they rotate out every year. Sometimes they stay on for more than one year, But and then we have a shadow usually that follows so that they can mentor the next generation of editors, and sure. one of the editors is from the STEM fields, and one is from Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences. And they take in all of the um, all of the submissions and help the students become better writers and send them out to um, reviewers off campus. And they just basically oversee the entire publication from beginning to end. And then we also on the on the graphic side, we have an art student that um, uh, is a graphic designer that participates as the student graphic design editor and They oversee everything from beginning to end in terms of what the cover of the volume looks like to the layout um, to some some really cool new things that editors in the last couple of years have done with graphics inside of the journal itself. So that was the idea that it was supposed to be student run. It was going to give an opportunity for students to publish their research, but also for students to participate as editors and get experience on that side of the house too. so yeah, 24 years now strong. Um we're proud to say that the, the journal has been published in print for all those years, even through the pandemic.
0: Wow.
1: Um, one thing you asked about innovations, what we what any yeah, yeah, Yeah. So we did go during the pandemic two years ago, we went all online. And so now you can access uh on ur.umbc.edu, which is the undergraduate research website, you can see uh, full volumes uh, there in all of their glorious color. And they just look so beautiful, too. The the graphic designers have really been doing a really, really great job with the production value. Um, So yeah, everything is online now. And that's a difference. So we do print and online now as well.
0: Wow, this is really I mean, as you're describing this, I'm really just kind of struck by the unique nature of this particular publication, because it's I mean, I don't know that there are that many models quite like it out there. I mean, is that is that is that true? Is that something that, that I'm um, right about? Or or I mean, because it, it strikes me that there are a few publications out there that are sort of open to undergraduate submissions from sort of all over the country. You know, there's this competitive process, but there may be a little bit more kind of top down in their nature. But this is something that's that's entirely, as you're saying, sort of student student oriented in its in its approach.
1: Yes, I don't, you know, I don't know for a fact, but we, I know that you, undergraduate research at UMBC is sort of leading the way nationwide, even with IRC, something like ERCAD, one of mm. the biggest um, undergraduate student research conferences in the whole country, um, and it really is providing a model for for other places to emulate. Um, yeah, and the student centered nature of it is just um, what makes it so awesome. And um, you know, you mentioned some other publications. There's there are national undergraduate research journals. Um right. But the idea here is that students aren't in in a competitive environment. This is supposed to be something that's about exploration and learning. Whether or not a student's um, final paper gets into the journal um, really isn't as important as the process itself. Mm-hmm. So, just having them go through the process of submitting something to a, a journal in a professional way, getting feedback on their writing, and that's going to help improve that that piece of writing going forward. It helps them with everything from graduate school applications to you know right. writing their honors thesis and all kinds of different things. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating to sort of see this as kind of a piece of a broader. Research journey, perhaps for students at UMBC, and obviously, I think as you're as you're describing it, I mean, it strikes me that we really are a, a campus that takes this this process seriously and considers that sort of uh, almost student life cycle, kind of from their first day on campus to leaving campus as sort of a, a fledgling researcher, somebody who's able to actually um, make a you know a, a real uh, meaningful contribution to some sort of research field. Um, so walk me walk me through that a little bit. So where do you see the UMBC review in terms of this kind of research life? for a UMBC student?
1: Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the culmination of the life cycle of the research student at UMBC. So (laughs) it starts with, you know, it really starts with the mentors. It starts with the faculty. That's really the backbone of Undergraduate research um, period. Um, And, you know, we have lots of resources to help students find mentors and get started in research. Um, You know, and if they walk through the process at UMBC, they really do get all the touch points of what it's like to be a professional in their field. So, Mm -hmm. find a mentor, they might apply for funding through the Undergraduate Research Award program and get some money to go do a research project. They might then present that. Project at ERCAD in the spring once they finish, and then you know publishing in the review um, would be kind of the culmination of all that. That's the that's the output, um, and it does really represent um, you know what what their life might be like as a professional in their field. Um, yeah, and again, it's going to be something that enhances their resume for grad school, something to, it's a talking point for when they sit down with graduate school recruiters or um, in their first job interview. So, you know, there's practical elements of it too, not just about um, saying they were published, but, you know, to have that you were published in a peer reviewed journal as undergrad yeah. is really a cool thing. And yeah, again, I think it's something that UMBC is is unique in in helping students to to do and have those conversations. And the other point, part of this, like, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't also talk a little bit about prestigious scholarships is that a lot of times, the students that are winning the really big scholarships are our, our Rhodes Scholars and our mm. Gates Scholars and our Marshall Scholars and Truman yeah, Scholars. Truman, and yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. they're <laughs> students who have participated in these programs. And those steps along that life cycle of them as a researcher has helped them get to the point where they're they're becoming a Rhodes scholar, let's say. So it's all set up to kind of, you know, lead into really, really big things. And we're doing it. We're standing shoulder to shoulder with some of the, you know, the most prestigious um schools in the world and umbc is right there next to them so
0: wow yeah, we we very recently had an episode where we talked to a number of individuals uh, sort of involved in the UMBC Ful- Fulbright program, and uh, it's interesting to sort of see that you know these episodes may be more connected than we thought because you know when when it comes to UMBC's sort of remarkable success in winning Fulbrights, which you know we talked at length about, um, you know maybe when we start to think about this process right of sort of supporting and cultivating undergraduate research, we get a little bit of a look inside the mechanism maybe of how we tend to do so well at these kinds of national. International competition, so that's a, that's an interesting insight, and I think really speaks to the, the the you know power of UMBC Review as you know not just a, a publication for kind of UMBC's campus, but something that that moves beyond um, to to support students' uh, sort of further endeavors and goals. So, uh, speaking of um, you know the the journal and 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 all that it can do, you know, I wanted to also ask you a little bit about the actual contents of this journal, uh, specifically. Uh, actual articles have been published in recent issues. Are there any that you've sort of noticed uh, that have been particularly interesting, particularly thought-provoking, uh, ones that, that are sort of uh, emblematic of the great work that goes into this journal?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many that I can mention. Uh, sure, <laughs> and, You know, students are, are working on such interesting projects, everything from looking at the pandemic and its effects on, and not just in, in terms of health outcomes and stuff like that, but you know we have students that are researching about um, the effects of uh, the pandemic on uh, Asian American hate crimes, right? So it, it, on the ability of UMBC students to finish their degrees, education. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of things going on with undergraduate research around the pandemic, um, contemporary politics. Uh, we've had recent um, publications about Trump era politics. Uh, we have, one coming through about the squeegee kids in Baltimore
0: Oh wow interesting which, yeah,
1: yeah which has been such a you know recently in the news with everything that's happening with that and um, just really on the cusp of uh, of the cutting edge of what's happening in in the in the world today. Um, there's one in particular from MCS that came out in the in the most recent edition in two thousand and twenty two, Tahiya Shendi, which she was writing about virtual influencers and um, oh. identity and uh, authenticity in social media. Again, just something that, you know, obviously is relevant to college students, but really, is on the minds of, of, of everybody worldwide. These are worldwide global issues. Um, so that's just one I can think of off the top of my head, but you can go to the online journal and read, uh, read through the table of contents and now you're able to access all of the articles right online.
0: Definitely. And, and you can rest assured that we're going to be dropping that link in the show notes. So for <laughs> those of you who are listening, make sure to, to check those out and click directly through, uh, to read some of these interesting articles like this, this one you just mentioned about online influencers. I mean, it really speaks to, you know, at least in my mind, you know, the, the research interests of students. I mean, they, they really are at the cutting edge because students have, you know, such a, uh, you know, a deep understanding of, you know, their role in society and their, uh, vision for what society is going to be. Um, Through their, through their, their studies and through their lived experience. So really cool and a a really interesting article that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, speaking of this, uh, you know, student process of actually uh, taking these research interests and turning them into, to articles, I just kind of one last question for you before we let you go. And that's to think a little bit about, um, you know, maybe some advice that you might have for students, uh, who are maybe thinking about potentially publishing in the UMBC review and, you know, more broadly thinking about a potential career in the social sciences.
1: Yeah, I mean the advice is just to submit your work and it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm. Um I think sometimes students think, oh, I, you know, I have to have this like really polished piece of writing to submit to the journal and it's going to get rejected. And that's really not true at all. We are always looking for great submissions. Um we're also looking for submissions that aren't really perfect yet either, and that's why the process is in place. So if you yeah. students out there have a paper that you wrote um, you know, for a class that you just really haven't A passion for the subject or you want to learn more about you can submit that and the role of the editors is really to work with you to improve the writing and get it to a publishable quality Mm -hmm. um, level and so don't be afraid that if it's not perfect submit submit submit. Um, obviously, the benefits, like I said, you're going to be able to um, talk about this process in in other in other places as you move forward through your through your career, um, and also you have a chance to improve your writing. That's the thing; you'll get feedback mm. on three different levels. So you'll get the, the peer feedback, and then the the students actually send the articles out for review by non-UMBC faculty in different institutions all around the country. Wow. And so, yeah, so you can have your paper read by, you know, any someone really cool in another place and make a connection there (laughs) and also just really improve the writing and then maybe submit it for something else or, or, or keep it on the back burner for another project. Like I mentioned, it could be, it could be an honors thesis. It could be uh, a capstone paper. It could be a lab paper that you eventually do. Um, Anyway, yeah, it's, it's all good. It's all beneficial. You know, even if you don't get in, um, there is a win in the process mm. i just harp on that again um yeah and it's going to be if you do get in obviously it's going to you're going to have lots and lots of benefits because you'll have something to hold in your hand i mean how cool is it to hold a published book in your hand there's no better feeling and i say that as somebody who also you know does this and is like right you and getting chills right now just thinking yeah it. like if you hold something that you've produced in your hand and can show it to your parents and you can show it to uh, a a faculty uh graduate school recruiter i mean that is just you know there's nothing that's a gold star there's nothing better yeah. than that it's a really valuable process and it's a really fulfilling process. So, yeah, the advice is just to, um, to think about something you want to be known for in your field and, and, and it's great practice for um, your future uh, in, in, in your academic career.
0: Dr. April Householder, thank you so much for both that timely piece of advice and advice that actually could probably be, uh, uh, you know, for some of our faculty listeners as well, right, to encourage their students also to submit that work. Um, But also, thank you so much for taking the time more broadly to talk to us today about the OMBC Review and about its role in promoting undergraduate research on our campus.
1: Thanks for having me, Ian.
0: All right. Uh, I'm delighted today to have in the podcast studio uh, two fantastic students who happen to be the editors of the UMBC Review. We have Claire Volkening here and Madeline Pollock. First of all, thank uh, you both for being here uh, today. I'm really happy to have you.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Awesome. So I, I want to jump right in here. I want to ask you, uh, first of all, a question just about this publication in the first place. Uh, so obviously, you're editors of, of the UMBC Review uh, on the side of the social sciences and the humanities. Uh, for those of our listeners who may not know much about this this journal, um, what is it really? What are its goals? What is its scope? What's its mission? Uh, what, what can we expect from the UMBC Review? Um, yes.
3: Yeah, so the UMBC Review is a um, research journal um, peer reviewed for undergraduates to get experience publishing the research. Um, so its goal is mainly to give students that kind of feel for what it's like to publish in an academic journal. Um, so we put it through like a kind of typical peer review process. So any paper we get, like we are going to publish goes through that process and it just kind of gives students kind of a peek into what academia and publishing in journals is like.
0: Yeah, Claire, it sounds like they get more than a peek, right? They get the full sort of experience, right? Uh, the peer review process. Um, so the peer review process, obviously, is such an important part of science because we're able to use um, sort of the the checks uh, from peers in the disciplines who are knowledgeable about the subjects um, that we're writing on uh, to be able to sort of gauge whether this is sort of worthy of inclusion in the journal. So this is not just sort of a, a magazine where students can kind of submit whatever and have it have it uh, selected. This is actually rigor um in terms of uh it's it's a uh, sort of check um on on ensuring that you have very high quality uh undergraduate research um, and so is this something that is um you know a, a available to students across the disciplines or there specific uh, areas at umbc that the journal focuses on
3: Um, so it is available for students across all disciplines um all like disciplines said, for, yeah. Uh-huh. here from the like cost section and then we have two stem editors so it's Everything and
0: anything. Oh, wow. Okay. So arts, sciences, humanities, uh, and so Claire and Madeline, you're working more on the cost side of things, right? So, you, so your uh, editor is responsible for any submissions that are coming from any number of different uh, departments. Is that right?
2: Yeah. This is true, but we also do split some of that work with our other our fellow STEM editors. So we all get a little taste of, as Claire said, everything and anything.
0: Everything and anything. I like that. That's, that's great. It must be a fascinating process to get all of these uh, submissions and to read some of the abstracts of, you know, these, uh, these uh, uh, you know, j- articles, uh, submissions to the journal that are potentially outside of your own research interests and your own areas of specialization, which, by the way, if you wouldn't mind, um, Claire and Madeline, just telling me a little bit about. So what are the, some of the topics that you are interested in personally in, uh, in the social sciences or in
4: the humanities? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, for, for myself, as a history major with public history and Judaic studies minors, you wow. can imagine I have a great passion for all things history. Yeah. It's kind of hard for me to narrow down what just one major focus, but my favorite histories are the ones I didn't really get to learn in high school and middle school. Um, my favorites right now, which I'm taking classes on, are the medieval period and history of science. So really the biggest thing for me about history is I like to learn. So of course I enjoy like American history classes, but in those classes, I feel like there's a lot I'm already familiar with and I wanna be doing these things that I don't know about to kind of use a cliche to broaden my horizons
0: certainly yeah i really like that you mentioned the history of science because obviously as you know this is a social sciences podcast um you know we in the social sciences are always thinking at least a little bit about sort of where we've come from as social scientists which um you know not to not to uh give away any spoilers but it's a very it's a very complex and interesting history as to how uh the modern social science disciplines got to where they are today right um so that's really fascinating i'm really glad that you um you know shared that particular interest um how about you, Claire? What are some interests that uh, that are driving you um, in, in terms of your inquiry?
3: Um, so I think I, as an English major, um, I'm like communication and kind of how we make things happen, like how we communicate things with each other mm. and how that kind of affects the spaces that like are then kind of put forward um, and like that you that can exist, we can like kind of be part of. Um, that really fascinates me, just how like our words kind of affect how we're comfortable, where we're comfortable, um, who we're comfortable with, and then just broadly like kind of literature and how that also kind of just like affects society in ways that, you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of how like we are kind of a product of everything that we read and take in. So things examining that are things I'm very interested in. <laughs>
0: We are products of everything we read. I love that statement. And, you know, how true that, you know, you as editors of the UMBC Review are also, you know, um, you know, uh, you know taking in all of this knowledge uh from these various submissions and then I think also getting this incredible vantage point on on the social science disciplines um as you as you read. So uh, really interesting as well. Um so I you know I, I want to know a little bit about also um uh, in addition to your own interests, this process, because obviously, you know, your students who are you know doing your own work, your own sort of uh, uh you know research and scholarship in these various fields, be it English, be it history, Judaic studies, um but obviously, you're getting these these submissions from the social sciences um, to the UMBC review. Um, and I want to know a little bit about what um, these people who submit these uh, submissions might come to expect as they go through that process. What's, what's it like to submit uh, one of these articles? Um, and I think the corollary question that I'm really kind of drive at here is... If I were to try to submit one of these uh, papers that I may have written for, you know, let's say an honors uh, seminar or for, you know, a a research class in the disciplines, um, what might distinguish me as like uh, somebody who's who's made a really good submission?
2: As to the submission process itself, we do really look for students across all majors. Now, some people might think that's really just for those who do a lot of writing, the social sciences, the humanities students. But as an R1 research institution, we really want to be covering the students all across all of our schools. So we do encourage everyone, anyone and everyone on anything and everything to submit their research. So. We're looking for papers that demonstrate that high quality research that we can see, they've spent a lot of time with it, and we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for papers that demonstrate a high level of research and thinking and are well-written and make people want to read them. Students can submit via the UMBC Review website, and the process involves providing us with a paper from eight to 30 pages long with an abstract a brief statement on the research journey, and a recommendation form from their advisor. Yeah, like Madeline
3: said, um, we are really looking for papers from everywhere um, and everyone, and kind of things kind of out of the ordinary. Um, so, like, new kind of takes on research. Like, all research is looking at something new, but I think we'd be particularly interested in kind of, like, surprise us. Um, like, take it somewhere we weren't expecting and kind of just, like putting different ideas together, which I think is something that is very commonly done in the humanities just because it's so, you know, it's kind of wide open for thoughts to be had and thinking to be done.
0: Yeah. So often, you know, I think about, um, the research enterprise and, you know, when I'm teaching my research methods courses to political science undergraduates, I talk a lot about, you know, the process of research, the craft of political research. And I use this term, the research enterprise all the time. Um, and, you know, I thought about it at one point and I realized that the research enterprise implies research entrepreneurs, right? And so if we're doing this, you know, for submitting these uh, pieces of research, you know, especially as social scientists, we're doing something, um, probably, In the realm of some kind of empirical analysis, though not always, right? Um, We're thinking always about how we might craft uh you know research that is going to attract an audience's attention right through this kind of entrepreneurship process we're thinking about how we can tell a story about you know the the empirical world um in a way that is captivating in a way that's novel um and and in a way that informs uh you know uh, our our theories right um i think that's a you put it uh, in a great way you know both both claire and madeline that you know these submissions right kind of subscribe to that to that um sort of rubric, right? You know, I think it's great that you're looking for submissions of this, of this type. Um, you know, I want to ask you also about this peer review process. So, um, who are the peers that are reviewing this work and, and, and what's it like to, to edit the journal when you, when you uh, submit these things, uh, to, to peer review?
3: So we personally have not yet participated in the peer review process as this is our first year as editors sure. of <laughs> the peer review, um, so I can tell you like. Kind of what we know so far um, from the past sure. editors. Sure, sure. But so the peer reviewers are typically faculty from different institutions.
0: Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. Like,
3: <laughs> you really get your paper reviewed by like experts in your field, which is really an incredible experience. So we will work with those peer reviewers throughout the process and kind of like work with the editors to give our own feedback and be the kind of mediator between the peer reviewers and then the people who submit, but as of yet, we can't talk to the specifics since we have not kind of reached that part of the year
0: sure well i mean that sounds really incredible to think that you know when we consider ourselves to be peers in the peer review process you know we're all producers of knowledge at the undergraduate level at the faculty level um so what you're telling me is that you know if you submit to the OMBc review this uh this work that you've submitted is actually going to be reviewed by experts in the field from other universities and that's a really cool feature i think of this of this process is that you know um it's, it may not even just be faculty at UMBC that have certain kinds of expertise. It's actually people who all across the country, um, who are the top scholars, potentially in their field, uh, putting eyes to your paper. So wow, I mean, what an incredible opportunity! I, I wish that I had that as an undergraduate. I mean, that would have been a really great way to get some amazing feedback on the work that I'm uh, that I was trying to produce at the time. Um, and I'm sure that it would have been a lot better than it ended up being. So that's really, really cool to hear. Um, and I'm really, I'm really enthused to think about, you know, maybe some of the student listeners uh, to the podcast as they're preparing their submissions, getting galvanized uh, to receive some of that feedback from from experts across the country. Um, you know, speaking of of submissions, you know, I know maybe this is uh, kind of the, the you're early in the process kind of as as editors. But I was kind of wondering, um, you know, looking back over some of the back issues of the journal, some of the recently published issues um, or even any that have sort of already been submitted. Um, are there any social science papers, any, any sort of topics or, uh, or, or particular, you know, abstracts that kind of caught your eye as being especially kind of interesting?
2: Absolutely. Um, one abstract that really did catch my eye was came out of the 2021 edition, an article by Sarah Driver about the impacts of pianos in homes middle-class homes in the 19th century and of course i'm attracted to those history papers but i really love unique histories and this is definitely one of them it's not by any means the only paper that has caught my eye but i would say it's the one i'm most excited to have a look at
0: Pianos in homes in the in the 19th century. Is that right? That's such a fascinating topic. you know. I really kind of wonder what the process was whereby this particular student was able to come up with this as a specific focus of research. Um, I will mention that we're, we're definitely gonna drop uh, some of these uh, links to these papers in the show notes um, so that any listeners who are interested in reading a little bit more about these particular papers can uh, can check those out. Um, Claire, do you have any that caught your eye specifically?
3: Huh? So I thought I was kind of looking over. Um on the um it's from the last issue that we put out um just about um the representation of agency of medieval, medieval aristocratic women um and i cannot pronounce the person's name but um Christian Detroits i'm most likely butchering it but just how like the way that we represent groups of people um whether it's in the past or the future can kind of show the agency that we either scout to them or even give them agency and just kind of playing with that. Um, just something I'm kind of trying to find the time to go and read the paper.
0: Alright, so the, again, these are really fascinating papers that you have both uh, chosen to, to highlight, and you know, I also had a number of uh, students who have worked on uh, papers that have gone to the UMBC Review before. Um, I'll shout out at least one of them. So my student, Jacob Street, from 2018, um, actually wrote a very interesting paper uh, that appeared in the UMBC Review that was about um, various presentations of universal basic income, uh, sort of ways that we might be able to frame that issue um, and, and uh, sort of an evaluation of, of how those different frames impacted public support for the proposal. So uh, certainly an interesting, provocative kind of topic. And uh, I think that, you know, together with those that you uh, recently mentioned, um, it really just showcases the diversity of the topics that are being studied um, in the OBC review. Um, And again, just the the incredible high quality of the publications that have appeared there. Um, So yeah, thanks so much for shouting those out. Uh, You know, um, before we let you go, and again, thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Thanks so much for, you know, taking the time to talk to me a bit about um, your role in the UMBC review and, uh, you know, the the exciting possibility that uh, students can submit uh, to this to this publication in the near future. Um, You know, obviously, you are both. students with kind of unique vantage point on uh, on research on how to conduct an academic study um, because you're you know serving in this capacity as editors i just wanted to ask you you know i often ask this question of faculty that we have on the podcast but i I thought it would be really interesting to ask you as well if you had any pieces of advice for students who are hoping to sort of improve their skills in the social sciences uh, and become you know maybe eventually professional researchers themselves
2: so the biggest piece of advice I would say to any students listening is don't be afraid to ask any questions. It doesn't matter if, if it feels dumb to you. If getting an answer gets you further and closer to where you want to be, that's all that matters. Reach out and ask those questions. And also really, really try and move past the imposter syndrome you got yourself where you are and you're going to get yourself where you're going. So have faith in yourself and have faith in the people around you who are going to help you get to the the future you want.
0: Well said, Madeline. I, I certainly think that that's um, a piece of advice that, all of us could take to heart, not just you know undergraduate students. Um, you know, I think also about that relationship with the academic. Um, you know, the, the advisor—not your academic advisor, who's going to tell you which courses you should take or help you with your schedule, but the advisor who's going to help guide that research process. Um, I often find so much of the time that students have all this trepidation about approaching me with a research idea, um, and at the end of the day, it's such a silly thing because I'm super excited about helping students craft. Those research proposals into something really tractable, really really meaningful, and eventually that might appear in the pages of the review. Um, but students all, always, you know, are holding back. I think because they're they're a little concerned about this potential imposter syndrome. Right? How how could I possibly do research of this quality? Um, but Madeline, you're telling us, and I agree with you completely that you know you got to believe in yourself and take that first step. Of just reaching out uh, to to one of these faculty, um, get involved, get connected, and um, you know that research process has to begin with a single step, right? Uh, what about you, Claire? I any, any additional words of advice for us?
3: I really think just echoing what Madeline just said. Yeah, it's just reaching out, taking advantage of opportunities, and just not letting the fear of kind of you know, like feeling like an imposter or being told no. Because, like you just said to Dr. Anson, um, most professors are very excited. Um, work with undergraduates and they're very willing and they're very helpful and absolutely wonderful. So just kind of getting over that fear, if you do feel fear and just putting yourself out there and kind of trusting that it will work out. Um, yeah, and just having faith in yourself.
0: Having faith in ourselves, that's such an important point and such a great note to end on. Um, Again, Claire Volkening, Madeline Pollock, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Best wishes to both of you as you continue to edit the UMBC review this year. And we really look forward to seeing what fantastic publications uh, come out of that journal in the new uh, issue, which is coming out what, what, uh, what time this year?
3: So it'll be coming out in April of 2023.
0: Perfect. April of 2023. Uh, I hope that all the listeners are marking their calendars right now and looking forward to getting a digital or print copy of the review uh, as soon as they possibly can. Thanks again to both of you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Campus Connections.
4: Campus Campus Campus
2: Connections
4: Campus Connections. Campus
0: Connections. Now it's time for Campus Connections, the part of the podcast where we connect today's featured content to other work happening at UMBC. Today, our awesome production assistant Alex Andrews is back with a review of the UMBC Review. Alex, we've heard about several recent UMBC review pieces that have sparked our guests' interests. Are there any that stood out to you?
4: Thanks for that, Dr. Anson. I've selected two papers from the UMBC review that really sparked my curiosity. For our first publication from the review, I wanted to highlight the work of Melissa Williamson, a part-time returning UMBC student majoring in history with a particular interest in Japan and Northern Europe. Notably, she won a Beacon Prize for her paper Hero in Silk, Hero in Steel, while in the Renaissance Scholars program at Montgomery College. Her essay, The Role of Art in the Tulip Mania Speculation During the Dutch Golden Age, covers how artwork depicting tulips helped the flower gain immense financial value. For my second publication, I chose Physician-Assisted Suicide and Maryland's End-of-Life Option Act by Terrence Moore. Terrence is a social work major set to graduate in the spring of 2022 with a minor in psychology and plans to pursue a master's degree in social work. His paper discusses the ethics of social work regarding assisted suicide and if Maryland should pass an Assisted Suicide Act after its last attempt in 2020. That's all for Campus Connection. Thanks a lot, Dr. Anson. Thanks so much, Alex, for
0: shouting out these great examples of UMBC undergraduate research. Remember that you can also submit your work to the UMBC Review by visiting the link in the show notes. Even if the deadline is passed, the editors may be able to accept your work on a rolling basis. So reach out to Claire and Madeline if you have questions. That'll do it for today's episode of Retrieving the Social Sciences. Good luck on your research journey, and remember to keep questioning.